Good morning, church. We're in the middle of a series called The Church as Diaspora, and we've been looking at how in the first century, as the early church was scattered throughout the Roman Empire, uh, the early apostles wrote to strengthen and encourage and warn and edify the early church of the spiritual issues that were arising in the church in diaspora in the first century. And we're seeing that the same issues that happened back then are the same spiritual issues that are happening today here in the 21st century as the church is uh, going through a massive disruption and dispersion amidst the coronavirus event. Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the topic of how the church is to relate spiritually to the uh, spiritual beliefs, the spiritual values, and the spirituality of the world around us. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible with you or a Bible app, to turn with me now to James chapter 1, verse 27. This is going to be our theme verse for today and next Sunday. Uh, The Apostle James wrote to the early Christians, and he wrote to the Christians, as he says in verse 1, as a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. He was primarily writing to Jewish Christians, but there are so many important things as James encourages the early Christians to live out a practical faith, a faith that um, expresses itself not just through belief, but also through works as well. And he says this in James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says that religion that is pure and undefiled does two things. It takes care of the poor among you and secondly, it keeps yourself separated spiritually and unstained, unpolluted by the world around you. Uh, That first part, how Christians are to take care of the poor among them, uh, we're going to take a look at next week. Today we're going to look at this second part of this verse where James says that religion that is pure and undefiled, uh, we want to be spiritually set apart from the beliefs, the values, and spirituality of the world. And we're going to explore that together. Um, I think we'll go ahead and open up in a word of prayer and get started. Father, we commit this time unto you. And we pray that we would live spiritually abnormal lives and spiritually otherworldly walks amidst a broken and dark world and chaotic world. Lord, you spoke into the chaos at creation and brought order. You created the church in a chaotic world and brought order through the church. And we pray, Lord, that through our time together, you would strengthen the church as um, the voice of truth and love and goodness to... um, to the world around us that is in chaos. And uh, would you bless this time together, Lord? Would we be motivated and would we be encouraged practically of how we can live um, other abnormal spiritual lives? In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I think every single one of us at one point or another has said the following words. I just want my life to return back to being normal again. Every one of us has thought that or said that or longed for that at some point or another during this time. Um, I was thinking about how so many of us are saddened at the world that's been taken from us. We're worried about what the world will look like in the future. And we're desiring to return back to the world that's familiar to us, uh, where we get to do what we want to do, when and where we want to do it. 
And I think it's entirely normal for us to long uh, to go back to that world. I was talking with a teacher recently, and they were telling me, Pastor Chris, distance learning is a joke. I haven't seen or talked to some of my students in three weeks. I just want to go back to the world in the classroom that, uh, that I used to have. I was talking with some businessmen recently, and they were telling me, in this new world, it's really hard to sell t-shirts or to sell comic books or to run a music school or to go into people's houses and fix them up. I was talking with some college students recently, and they were saying, you know, in this new world, uh, there is no college graduation for me or there is no summer internship for me uh, this upcoming year. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I think for me, the change in this world um, means that I can't go visit my mother who's in a group home. It means that, you know, I turned to my kids the other day and said, don't expect any uh, great summer vacation this summer. And this new world has, um, I think, the church longing uh, to come back together, to see each other face to face again, and to ask, when can we go back to being normal? It's entirely normal to want these things. And um, I think all of us have been asking the question, when can my life go back to being normal again? Uh, I just, even if it's a new normal, I just want, I just can't wait. You know who else can't wait? God. But God is not primarily waiting for uh, the economy to go back to normal. God is not primarily waiting for the church to go back to how she normally operated before the coronavirus event. What God is waiting for is for the church to start asking herself an entirely different question than the world. The world is asking the question, when can my life go back to normal? The church needs to be asking herself the question amidst this time of trial and testing, She needs to be asking herself the question, how can I best live a spiritually abnormal life compared to the world? When we go through times like this, it's it's normal to turn to the world first and say, can you save us? You know, government, can you fix the economy? Healthcare workers and and, uh, researchers and doctors, can you find a vaccine to save us? I think that's entirely normal for us um, as a first impulse, and it's normal for us to want to go back to the world in which uh, we're used to. What is spiritually abnormal for the Christian is that after that first impulse, to realize that, no, um, we need to trust God first, not the world first. We need to serve God first, not the world first. Uh, when you look at the teachings of the apostles, there are verses like uh, James chapter 1, verse, 20, uh, verse 17, where the apostle James speaks very positively about um, our life in the world. He says that every good and perfect gift in, our, in the world comes from the Father of lights who doesn't change among us. And what James was saying there was something very positive about our life in the world. He was saying that every good and perfect thing that we experience here in this world, like love or beauty or uh, the extent that we have justice or physical sustenance, every good and perfect gift that we experience in this world, it comes from God our Father who created us, who provides for us, who created us and the earth and the universe. And those are good and perfect gifts that we are to live in and enjoy. And so James does write about some positive things that happen in the world. But when you look at the overall teachings of the apostles, 
uh, I think it's very important for us to remember that uh, James and Peter and the other apostles overwhelmingly spoke negatively about the spiritual beliefs, the spiritual values, and the overall spirituality of the world around them. Uh, if you have a Bible, um, I just want to read to you some verses that the apostles uh, said about the spiritual beliefs, values, and spirituality of the world. Uh, just listen to these verses. The Apostle James said this in verse 127, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Again, our theme verse. He said, We are to keep ourselves unpolluted from the world. James went on to say in James chapter 4, verse 4, he said, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, that because of Satan's attacks on Christians, Christians throughout the world are suffering. He went on to say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, he said that those of us who have God's divine nature, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have escaped the corruption of the world because of sin. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, that apostate teachers, those who once taught the word of God and then turned their backs on God, that these apostate teachers have at one time escaped the defilements of the world only to get entangled in them again. He went on to say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, that at the Lord's return, because of all the evil and brokenness and darkness in the world, God will burn the earth, incinerate it, and dissolve it. When you look at the teachings of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, they say things that are very similar. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that believers are not to conform to the world, not to conform in our beliefs, our spirituality, our values to the world. Uh, the Apostle John said that we are not to love the things of the world more than God and uh, because the world and its desires are passing away. And when you look at the sweep of the New Testament writers, they essentially characterize the beliefs, spirituality, and values of the world by saying stay away from spiritually worldly things, spiritual worldly passions, spiritually worldly people. They, they said that we live in a broken and twisted world with evil spirits uh, in this present darkness. And so overwhelmingly, the apostles and God speaking through the apostles taught that we had to be very careful to not mix our beliefs, values, and spirituality with the world. In fact, this is what James was saying throughout uh, his epistle as he's telling the, the Jewish Christians in the early first century church, don't be polluted by the world. He goes on to give example after example in his epistle. He says, you know, the world is going to work through your flesh to tempt you. The world is going to get you to conform to itself by uh, encouraging you to be just a hearer of the word instead of a hearer and doer of the word. Um, don't be like the world and if you're rich and start to mistreat the poor. Don't be conformed to the world in that way. Don't be like the world uh, who uses their tongue to to bless on one hand and then to curse on the other hand. Don't be like the world that's filled with jealousy and selfish ambition. The world that boasts of all their accomplishments outside of the will of God and the world that likes to grumble or even to lie. James is warning and encouraging the early church to say, live an unpolluted spiritual life apart from the world's values and spirituality and beliefs. And so that's very clear. That when you look at um, 
God's Word and the teachings of the apostles, that they are saying that we as Christians are to live spiritually abnormal lives compared to the world. And I think the question um, we need to be asking, or several questions, is what motivates us to do that? I want to give you three uh, questions. I want to pose three questions to you that will help guide us, I think, in the right direction of how we can uh, live spiritually abnormal lives and live lives where we are doing a self-diagnosis of the virus of worldliness that infects our souls. So let's look at three questions that will guide us in that direction. And then after that, we're going to look at some application points of how we can explore the worldliness that might be in our own lives. Um, Question number one, do I desire to escape the corruption of the world? Do I desire to escape the corruption of the world? I think this is an important question that we need to ask ourselves as we strive to live spiritually abnormal lives and um, other, have spiritually otherworldly walks. Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we who know Christ have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sin. And he talks about how as believers, uh, God has brought us spiritually out of the world, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, Paul says that, and, and Peter's really playing upon that theological truth, and he's saying that now we've escaped the corruption of the world. Question, do you desire to escape the corruption of the world? Do we remember that we have escaped uh, that spiritual corrupting beliefs and spirituality and values? Uh, when I look around at people at our church, uh, I, I see a number of people who came to Christ or recommitted their life to Christ because they were through being corrupted by the world. And they got what they either got what they wanted from the world and found it was lacking, or they realized that the world, um, their promises that the world was making them in terms of fulfillment and life uh, was ultimately empty. I think about a man in our church who was pursuing uh, career gambling and uh, was having a heart that was pursuing money, and he saw how empty that was, and he decided to devote himself, uh, redevote himself to the Lord. I think about another person in our church who was um, surrounded in a life of violence and mayhem and immorality, and just came to a point where they said, you know what, this is not, this is against what God wants, and then they came to um, make a profession of faith in Christ. I can think of another man who grew up uh, really amount, around an evil crowd, and at a very young age, at 18, many years ago, uh, was a part of our ministry, and he gave his life to the Lord, and he still continues to serve the Lord to this day. I can think of a couple uh, that are part of our church, and they grew up in a foreign country that uh, was counter to Christianity. It was a country that was devoid of Christianity in terms of its official uh, government position, and Uh, The government would suppress Christianity, and they grew up in that environment, and they said, you know, we don't want this. This is empty. Uh, There has to be something more than this. There has to be a God out there. And they came to America and joined our church and uh, gave their lives to Christ. I can think of some other people who uh, uh, live lives where they were stained by the world, and they were giving themselves to the world, and they really have suffered physically because of those consequences. But God used that to draw them back to the Lord, and they're serving the Lord faithfully right now. It reminds me of Solomon 
in the book of Ecclesiastes, who he wrote that book towards the end of his life. And it was really a book about wisdom. And he said, you know, I've experienced, I, Solomon, have experienced all the possessions, all the power, um, all of the prestige, all of the pleasure in life. And uh, I, I found my life to be empty. I found my life to be stained and polluted by the world. And Solomon ends Ecclesiastes by saying, um, really, the point of life is to fear God and to obey his commandments, to have religion that is pure and undefiled by being unstained by the world in the words of James. And so I think the first question we need to ask ourselves about um, whether we're motivated to be unstained by the world spiritually is to ask, do, do I want to escape the corruption of the world? Have I come to a place where um, that's not really where it's at for me? The world doesn't promise me. It promises me life, but it delivers death. Do I really believe that? Is it real in my life that I want to escape from that? Because not everyone does. But uh, if you're a follower of Christ, uh, you've come to that realization. Number two, the second question we need to ask ourselves is, have I embraced the reality of my coming exit from this world? Uh, We all know that we're going to die, but have I truly embraced the reality that uh, my exit is coming and it's coming shortly compared to all of eternity. Uh, Listen to the words of the Apostle James in James chapter 4, verse 14. He says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He says, Our lives are here, but for a moment. And then they're gone. And James was saying that to encourage us that in this brief time that we have here on earth, and there are no guarantees, none of us know if we're even going to be around tomorrow, that uh, we are to devote ourselves unto the Lord. Question, you know that you're going to die one day, but has it become real to you? Has it become real that uh, there are no guarantees of how long you're going to be here on planet earth? If this is the last day that you had here on this earth, in this world, how would you spend it? I, I think for myself, as I've gotten older, I've realized uh, just the brevity of life. I realize how true the words of James are here, that our lives are just, uh, a, a, it's just a moment and then it's gone. And I really didn't think about that much when I was in my teens or 20s or even in, in my 30s. But uh, once I got a little bit older, and I know you college students who are out there listening, you're thinking anyone who's like 27 or older is old. But believe me, you won't think that one day. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I've realized a few things. One is that uh, the people that die are no longer my parents' friends. Um, I'm starting to see my peers get terminal diseases or pass away. Um, I've also realized that I'm getting older, you know, uh, just physically and um, and I'm, I have less life left than what I have behind me. I've lived more of my life, most likely, at this point, uh, than the life I have before me. And that's a very sobering thought, but I think it's a very important thought. It's to come to grips knowing how fast life goes by and how little of it you have left, and there are no guarantees of it. I think another thing that has affected me over the years is when I've seen people in my own family die or get diagnosed with terminal diseases. Um, I've had four aunts die um, in the last decade. My um, father died several years ago. My sister died 
uh, a few years before that. And then uh, my mom is incapacitated with a stroke right now. And uh, there's some other health issues going on in my wider family. And it just has reminded me that death is not only a reality, but it's really real, that God is pointing this out to me. And I think that's helped prepare me for how short life is. Uh, I've also had two near-death experiences um, in the past uh, two years. One was I almost got run over by a car. A car missed me by about six inches as I jumped out of the way in a crosswalk. They were coming at me full speed, and I thought they saw me. They didn't, and I had to jump out of the way, and it just almost nicked my back going full speed. And the second time, I almost accidentally ran over someone who jumped into a crosswalk early. Um, They didn't see me while I was speeding through the intersection, and I had to swerve out of the way and just miss them by a couple of feet. But that reminded me how just things can be taken from you at any moment. And have you embraced the reality that you're going to be exiting this world and you have no control over when that will be? And I think when we embrace that reality, it brings an urgency to our lives. And we realize, you know, living for the beliefs, the values, the spirituality of the world, that is going to pass away like me. And so I should be moved to live my life for the Lord. A third motivation. Question. Have you come to realize that the world cannot solve the two biggest problems of humanity? Uh, I, I think that this is what the Apostle John gets to when he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, he, he talks about these two biggest problems of humanity that cannot be solved by the world. Actually, if this world doesn't solve it, it perpetuates it. And the two biggest problems are the problem of human evil and human death. Those are the two biggest problems that humanity has ever faced that the world has not been able to solve. Uh, the Apostle John said this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, that the, desi- the world has, gives us the desires of the flesh. It gives us the desires of the eyes, our eyes, and it gives us the pride of life that's evil. And he says, the world and its desires are passing away. That's death. So the world does not solve evil and death. It actually perpetuates it. And these are the two biggest problems that humanity has ever faced. Can you think of two bigger problems than evil and death? Uh, I, I want you to think for a moment. Just pretend in your imagination Let's just take the opposite view. Uh, just imagine for a moment what would be the ideal world that you can imagine during this coronavirus event. Uh, what could be the ideal outcome? Uh, I think a lot of, of us would say, well, the ideal outcome during this time is that, number one, we get a vaccine for the pandemic, some kind of miracle drug in the next week or so, and that would be uh, this imaginary utopian world, Right? I think, secondly, a lot of us would say, you know, um, the economy instantly gets repaired after that. The stock market just goes up. We get our jobs back. Um, everyone's going out and um, enjoying life out there in the wider economy. Thirdly, I think we would say um, all of our friendships are now harmonious. Uh, we've picked up where we left off, or it's even better. Uh, there's now forgiveness. There's love where there, where there was hatred and anger. And we all just kind of live in perfect global harmony. 
And uh, I, I think another thing we might say, number four, is that come November, all of us make the right ch- choices in electing the right politicians uh, to office that will help us. And fifthly, I think we would say now that we've seen how the climate has uh, cleared up, maybe less smog, uh, we're going to do everything we can to uh, help clean up the environment. And I think those are maybe uh, uh, five different uh, things that we would say that would be the perfect imaginary world that would happen. Uh, We all know that that's not going to happen, but just if it was, uh, let me ask you this. If all of that was to take place, we get a vaccine, the economy is repaired, our relationships are repaired, um, we elect the right leaders, and we fix any kind of environmental problem we might have in the world, that still will not solve the two biggest problems of humanity, correct? How would that solve, even if we got all of that, the problem of human evil and human death? And so um, I think these are three important motivations we need to remember as we uh, think about why we should live unstained lives in, in the world. And lastly, I want to just give a few thoughts on what this can look like practically. How can we live a spiritually abnormal life and have uh, spiritually otherworldly spiritual walks here in the world? I think uh, as we strive to, to love and to serve God first, we need to see this time uh, during the coronavirus. We, we see it as certainly a time of trial and testing, but um, have you ever thought the opposite? Have you ever thought that this might be a time that is a gift from the Lord? That this is actually a time where the Lord is giving us this gift of time to reflect, to stop our lives, to um, reevaluate. You know, sometimes we get on this, this roller coaster of life and it's so hard to get off of it. And there's a certain momentum to our lives that we really don't feel like we have time to stop and reflect and reevaluate. And... Um, and to maybe get off that roller coaster. And as painful as this might be for some of us, uh, one of the redemptive works that God uh, is going to be doing during this time is getting us to clean house, spiritual house, in our walks. Because we're forced to have to think about things. We're forced to have to look at areas of our life that we would just ignore or say, I don't have time. And that can actually be a very positive, very painful thing. But it can be a very positive thing if you were to see this as a time, a gift of time that God is giving to you, and how can I use it to trust God and to serve God first in a spiritually abnormal way compared to the world? Um, let me just give some examples from our church. Is that, uh, you know, this morning on Sunday, we're just ending our 24 hours of prayer and fasting in the church where so many of us have signed up to pray and to fast for the church the people in it, uh, the world, the people we're trying to reach with the gospel. Um, and just for, uh, like, like Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says that we're to pray for our leaders, that we may live good and peaceable lives. And I think that's true for all of us, is that we want to pray and fast. And so I think that's a good way of, of trusting God first and serving God first during this time of trial and testing. Another example, so many of you have been so faithful in giving to the church during this time. And even though I think it must be difficult for some of you, and for a lot of us really, is that uh, you've continued to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to sacrifice and to be faithful and generous to God. And I think God will bless that and he will provide for you. 
Um, there's been examples in our church of people in our church who have led other people to Christ during this time that they were reaching out to. And through this event, the people that they had been witnessing to have come to realize that they need to get right with God. And that is continuing the work of the Lord during this time. So many of you are, are serving um, for the first time, either leading small groups or helping out with um, the production of our services or writing uh, music or stepping forward to do different ministries. Uh, and it's just been such a blessing to see how you in the church have been putting God first and serving and trusting him. Um, others of you, you're devoting this time, a portion of it, to study the word of God, to pray. I, I was talking with someone this week, and they were saying, you know, Pastor Chris, I have all this time on my hands now, and every day becomes like a blur to me. Uh, I'm not quite sure what God wants me to do with my time. And so uh, they were just saying, can you give me some advice? And so I said, uh, just the first thing that the Lord gave me that came to mind, I said, you know, um, I think that's very honorable for you to seek out the Lord and his kingdom first. And you have this time, um, what would it look like to serve God first? And so I just gave him a suggestion. I said, uh, how about this? How about in the next seven days? And you and I, maybe we'll talk next week, just see how it went. Uh, why don't you choose five other people in the church and just call them? Maybe five people that you normally don't know or hang out with, uh, five other guys. And um, just say, hey, I just want to call you and, and see how you're doing. Um, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Um, let's just talk maybe just for a few minutes on the phone. And he said, yeah, that's great. I'm up for that kind of challenge. I'd rather do that than just uh, be staring at my computer screen. And so um, that's just a great example of how uh, he's going to use his time to serve the Lord first. So I think how we live spiritually abnormal lives is played out in how, asking ourselves a question, how can I trust God continue on God's work, serve God during this time first, rather than look to the world to save me first. And secondly, I think uh, through this gift of time that God has given to us, we need to use this time to perform a, a kind of a spiritual um, autopsy on the areas of our spirit that's been dead because of the uh, spiritual virus of worldliness that has infected all of our souls. And so, um, how has worldliness crept into our own thinking and our own speech and our own um, actions? I think it's a good time to evaluate that and to ask that question. Um, for some of us, we might realize that so much of our life, our identity, who we are, our, our worth, has been coming from the world. When we look at our identity, we've been placing too much of who we are in how we perform in our job, um, our bank account. Um, what we own, our possessions, uh, the degree that we're trying to get from the school that we're going to, um, how our body looks, uh, the perceptions of other people. If they're, they're good, then we feel good. If they're not, then uh, we feel we're terrible. And I think one of the questions, one of the areas we need to be looking at during this time in terms of worldliness is how much of our identity has been wrapped up in the things of the world affecting us versus our identity in Christ and that Christ loves you, and he's forgiven you, and he's given you a citizenship in heaven, and this is not your home. And uh, Christ has given you his spirit, and his holiness, and his wisdom, and his self-control, and all the fruits of the spirit. So I, I think we need to be looking at our identity. How has worldliness crept into that? A second area is 
Um, where do we get our peace and joy from? You know, during this time, we're all stressed, we're tired, we're having to adjust. And I think there's this great temptation uh, when we go through that, because none of us are at our best when we're stressed and tired and, and overwhelmed. I think there's this great temptation to, to solely depend on the things of the world to give us a sense of peace and joy. Um, the food that I'm eating, the retail, retail therapy that I'm indulging in online, um, the entertainment that I'm watching uh, through my screen, the pleasure that I'm seeking. There's a great temptation to look at the things of the world first to save you, to give you peace and joy. But uh, James says, the Apostle James says in his epistle, that seek, first, seek the wisdom of God during this time of trial and testing, and he will give it to you. Don't doubt uh, cast your anxiety upon the Lord, for he cares for you, the Apostle Peter said. And so I think coming to the Lord first for our peace and our joy and to deal with this time of trial and testing is very important. Thirdly, I think we can um, ask ourselves, has the thinking and the beliefs and spirituality and values of the world inf- uh, infected how we view community? Uh, I, I think here in America, we deal so much with American individualism, and I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to be uh, make it on my own, that we start to think of the church that way. We start to think that, you know, even as a Christian, I can go on my own, I can do it alone. I'm strong enough, you know, I know enough, and um, I don't really have to be part of God's community. And um, we don't realize there's two errors in that. One is you actually do need God's community. You do need the church. Uh, that's what the writer of Hebrews said is that do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but you know, encourage one another, spur one another on towards love and good deeds all the more as you see the day approaching of Christ's return. And so I think one error is that uh, we don't realize that we need that, but I think the other error is we forget that when we're not in community with God's people, we are actually robbing other people in God's community of our presence. We are robbing them of the encouragement that we can give to them, the service that we can offer to them and to the Lord, and the building up of the body of Christ. And so we want to ask ourselves, have I been more worldly in my thinking by um, kind of going in as a spiritual lone ranger outside of the church? And fourth and finally, I think we need to ask ourselves is, has my uh, mission in this world during this time of coronavirus event trial and testing? Has my mission uh, been more influenced by the world than it has by God's mandate to make disciples of Jesus Christ? I think it's so easy for us to look at our everyday practical life and say, my mission in this world is to um, fulfill my potential, whether it's through my job, my volunteer work, um, the health of my body to fulfill the great things that I'm capable of um, in terms of worldly accomplishment. And I think we need to ask ourselves, is that more being shaped by the beliefs, values, and spirituality of the world versus the mission that God has sent every Christian on into the world, which is to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ into all the world? And how am I doing in that area? And I've, I I uh, replace one mission with the other. And so identity Peace and joy, community and mission, very important areas of our lives. I'm sure there's other, others in terms of um, how much we've allowed the worldly thinking to get into our lives. I want to close with this. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 16, he says, In the world, 
you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And when he used that word overcome, he meant to conquer the world. Not conquer in terms of an army, not conquer in terms of changing a whole political economic system, uh, but to conquer spiritually. Jesus saw the world's values and beliefs and spirituality of the world as something to be overcome. And he says, take heart, even though we're going to go through a time of trial and testing during the coronavirus, that Jesus has overcome all of the beliefs, the spirituality, and the values of the world that would pollute us. And so um, let's place our faith and our trust and our service in God first. Let's live spiritually abnormal lives because this world is not our home. Uh, God and with God's people uh, in eternity is our home. And let's commit to evaluating the areas in our life that um, the spiritual virus of worldliness has infected us. And and to really see this time of the coronavirus in part as a gift from God to reevaluate where we're at spiritually and to make the corrections and move towards the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, may, uh, may what we have just talked about, may we move towards those ends uh, of living lives that are spiritually unpolluted by the world. And let us long for that, Lord. Let us be motivated by um, the desire to escape that. Let us be motivated by uh, knowing that uh, Our time here on earth is short. Let us be motivated, Lord, by knowing that um, we can get the whole world in front of us, all the riches of the world, as the Bible talks about, but then we can also lose our soul because the world cannot solve evil and death, but you can and you have through the cross of Christ. And so, Lord, um, help us. Give us the grace. Strengthen us, Lord, uh, for the times, these days uh, of, of living in a broken and twisted and uh, a dark generation, but may we shine as lights uh, as your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys.